0: The first degree.
1: first degree. First degree. First
2: degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
3: So this guy goes, this guy Jeff, goes to see my mom, looks at the place she's living in, Looks at this nightmare that she's living in, sees how depressed and just like rock bottom she is. And he breaks down crying. And he's like, I have to tell you, this is all a lie. You can't stay here. I have to get you out of here.
4: Welcome to the first degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen.
5: How are we feeling today, guys? Or maybe we're close together. Who knows? Who knows? It's just a misstudy. She might yeah. be faking you out.
2: Yeah. Mm, I was trying they to.
5: How are, we, <laughs> how are we feeling today, guys? We're a little tired, but we're hanging in there. <laughs> Me and Jack had a wedding this weekend, and we raged really hard. It was the best time, though.
4: Oh, we had the best time. And it's like every every time I drink, I just realize that my hangover just gets a little bit longer every a time. a little bit
2: longer, yeah.
4: A little bit mm-hmm. more acute. A
2: little yes. bit more acute. A
5: little, everything hurts a little more than it did last time. Yeah. It adds it's like absolutely. a slow breakdown of your organs,
4: organs. and system.
2: Organs <laughs> and enzymes and everything. Yeah.
5: Sure, sure, sure. Uh,
4: it's really delightful. But you know what? It's worth it. It is worth it for the rage. Um, Billy, what day is it today?
2: Today is November 17th. And you know sometimes when you look at these days, you can see a conspiracy brewing. Oh. Because today is homemade bread day. Mm. And then you go down a little bit, and it's also National Butter Day. Oh. So somebody either got together and said, we're going to do these both. And it's also National Baklava Day, too. They said, we're going we're to do this. We're going to get in on this. We're going to push everybody else out. So forget about International Students Day, because no one's going to care about that. No. Or National Farm Joke Day, whatever that is. But. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
4: Um, I just want to know what came first, the butter or the bread, yeah, you know? It's y- like yeah. a chicken or the egg kind of thing. Yeah. Both equally delicious
5: and important, by the way.
2: It's also yeah. something that is very of a certain time, National Unfriend Day. Oh, which unfriending
5: That's timely.
2: Yeah, it's time but it very much was from the Facebook era. You know, before it was just like I don't talk to that person anymore. But Facebook was literally this person's your friend. I'm going to press a button and now this person is not your friend anymore.
5: Now it's the metaverse era. Yeah. I still unfriend people.
4: I well, I don't have any friends on Facebook, but I did just do a big sweep of unfollowing people on Instagram and it felt very delightful. Highly recommend.
5: I started I started hair trigger unfollowing, unfriending, like anyone. Who just rubs me the wrong way on social media? My brain is too um, self-deprecating and
2: sad as it is. People now, I
5: I (laughs) only follow French bulldogs, and I had like
4: uh, wedding ring inspo for a while, and I'm like, don't need these anymore. More French (laughs) bulldogs—that's
5: all you need. You could you could start posting wedding uh, wedding ring inspo though, engagement ring inspo.
4: Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, are there any other good days, Billy?
2: It's also Little Mermaid Day. Very controversial movie.
5: Yes. Fish legs are always controversial.
2: And you also know that uh she you know, and I don't wanna I don't wanna, you know, be a spoiler alert here, but in the original story she turns into sea film.
4: Oh, what?
2: Yeah. Spoiler sea alert. Foam. We'll just leave it at that, yeah. Disney was like, no nah, Jennifer Cassenbird's like, no, nah, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna have it be a happy ending.
4: Interesting. All right, well that's a little fun fact. Disney has
2: lied to us.
4: Disney has lied to us.
2: Yeah.
4: All right, well I think that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your
5: anxiety.
2: Because this could be you.
5: We all think to ourselves, I could never ever be convinced to join a cult. I can sniff someone's bullshit out and that would never happen to me. But here's the thing, we underestimate the narcissistic and sometimes psychopathic personalities possessed by the kinds of people compelled to start a cult and be its leader. They're versed in ways to prey upon their targets. They're exceptional at exploiting vulnerabilities and tailoring coercion and customizing it right to you. You know the type. These people know how to make you feel seen. They make you feel understood. And it's these carefully crafted techniques that make it so you don't even know you've been targeted, that is, until it's too late.
4: We begin today's case in the late 1999 to 2000s ballpark, and at this time, quite a few major events are taking place. Napster was released, Bill Clinton was acquitted after his impeachment trial, and people were preparing for Y2K. Which is such a crazy time because we kind of thought the world was going to end. The late 90s was an amazing time for music. There was Britney Spears, Whitney Houston, Shut Up Billy, Backstreet Boys, <laughs> TLC, Destiny's Child, and of course, all of the alternative radio rock that Billy hates like Eve 6, Smash Mouth, Third Eye Matchbox 20. It can go on and on and on all of the hits. So it was also an iconic time for movies, especially franchises. The Star Wars prequel, The Matrix, Austin Powers, and American Pie were all started
5: in the late '90s. Great time. Billy's just mad because there wasn't a new Smiths album at that time.
2: And <laughs> <laughs> the setting for today's case is Utah. And Utah became the 45th state in 1896, known as the Beehive State because early pioneers felt that they were as hardworking as bees. Utah's population is around 3 million, which means the entire state has less people than Los Angeles.
5: As you can probably tell from the intro of this podcast episode, we're going to talk about a mother and daughter who are preyed on by a cult leader. In this word cult, it gets tossed around a lot these days, and we think it's important to establish what it actually means from a technical standpoint. So let's ask Mr. I study new religious movements in college, Billy Jensen. Take it away.
2: Yes. I actually got a master's degree in the religious movements. Oh, I'm sorry. He, so here's here's the thing. You know, everything can be considered potentially a cult or a religion. I mean, you could say that a guy walking around in the desert that has 12 followers that are following him and then everybody else is doing something uh, and then he gets uh, murdered. That could have been a cult. And then that turned into a religion. Exactly. Now, yeah. um, it is what it is, but where cults in, in, in the modern vernacular, where cults differ... Is that they use specific tactics to control followers uh, in in certain ways that is that are detrimental to what our normal type of uh, of of being is, what our normal sort of survival instincts are, and that's where it starts verging into cult like territory.
5: But it's like a fine line between you know religious extremism and cults, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. what are the main different differentiating characteristics of cults versus religions.
2: Well, I think, you know what, when you, you can say like, listen, if you if 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 a cult is telling you sell all your possessions, give the money to the church, that's not necessarily just a cult. You know, I mean, that just could be a religion that happens, you know, if, they, if it but it, if it starts bordering on the line of where the leader of your sex says, I talked to God and he told me I have to have sex with all of your wives. That's that's going to be a cult.
5: Got it.
4: So when you hear about cults, you know, you're probably the thing that probably comes to most people's mind is Jonestown. And we actually did an episode on Jonestown on the first degree where we had Jim Jones Jr.'s son on as a guest. And then, you know, there's a lot of other cults. My personal favorite is Heaven's Gate. But the truth is that cults are no longer packaged in these traditional sort of wrapping that they once were. We see them all of the time, whether that's in a form of an MLM, in these fitness communities, you name it, and there's probably a cult that's devoted to it. And the reality is that cult leaders follow a very methodical process to make sure the person has no idea what's happening to them. And getting indoctrinated into a cult doesn't really happen overnight. It's this slow, gradual process that involves an excessive amount of grooming and manipulation
5: and to many degrees seduction you know they know how to appeal to your interests and your weaknesses and really they're they're effortless at it and cult members these days also aren't dressed in flowing robes and chanting living on compounds like we see in sort of like cartoon versions of cult members you could literally be watching cult content on YouTube constantly and not even know it and that's why it's important to keep an eye out for the signs and the tactics used by predators which is exactly what we're going to explore as we share today's story. This all brings us to our first degree, my friend, Lola Blanc. Lola is one of the most interesting and creative people I know. She's a talented musician, she's an actress, she's a writer, director, podcast host, and much, much more. And at 17, Lola moved to LA and earned herself a spot in the music industry. And since then she's co-written songs for Britney Spears and released her own songs too. And also starred in TV shows like American Horror Story, all that stuff. It's my personal opinion that one of the reasons Lola has so much depth and creativity, of course, is because she's got a story. Everyone like this has a good story. And interestingly, she once told Galore Magazine that her childhood instilled in her a hunger for things that are out of the ordinary. Why is that? So what exactly happened in Lola's childhood that would cause this hunger for things out of the ordinary? So to answer this question, you know the drill. We got to go back to the beginning. For a big chunk of her childhood, Lola lived on a farm in Michigan in what she described as being a weirdo creative lifestyle. Her mother was a motivational speaker and a beauty queen, and her dad was in the military. Lola spent her childhood as a ventriloquist and a talented auctioneer, while her brother performed magic and escape art. It truly is a weirdo creative lifestyle indeed. A ventriloquist. I love that. I
2: love
4: that. (laughs) So normally we wouldn't focus on somebody's looks, but in this case, we think it's important to describe what Lola's mom, Christine, looks like because her beauty will play a role in this story later. And of course, we will post this on our Instagram as well. So Christine was and still is a very captivating woman. She was so beautiful that people were drawn to her. And we're looking at a photo of her right now. She is gorgeous with this long blonde flowy hair has a beautiful smile is wearing some sort of a
5: um halloween sweater, halloween. With
4: candy a halloween sweater. On yeah before like,
2: before, like halloween sweaters were cool too i mean that was she was she so was this on is point. amazing
5: and this yeah. is i think a picture of lola as a little girl a far cry from the lola we know today lola has a, like a black bob she looks like a quintessential little angel girl here so cute very
2: cute lola's parents were devout members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints The family went to church every Sunday and attended church events during the week. They also prayed together every night.
3: Well, I was raised originally just in mainstream Mormonism, which my personal experience was not that it was a cult. I I know many people who feel otherwise, but it was this sort of offshoot, self-proclaimed prophet that I believed in when I was 12 years old that was the cultier experience.
2: More on Lola's said cultier experience a bit later, but for now, let's talk a bit about what LDS members believe. We aren't going to give you too many details because there's a lot to go into this religion, but here are the basics. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a branch of Christianity. In fact, it's actually the fourth largest in America. They believe that Jesus is their savior. However, they consider LDS to be Jesus Christ's true restored church. The church was restored by prophet Joseph Smith when he founded the church in 1830.
5: Right. And years earlier, an angel had apparently visited Joseph and told him about a collection of ancient writings engraved on golden plates, and these plates had been buried. So after tracking the plates down, Joseph translated them into what is now the Book of Mormon. But there's a second part of this book called the sealed portion that has not been translated because Joseph was commanded not to translate them. So LDS members consider the Book of Mormon to be as equally important as the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. If you want to know more about this, you have to Google it because we have a lot to tell and this isn't Billy's master classes in school where he's learning about this stuff.
4: (laughs) Okay, now back to Lola. She recalled not jiving with some of the aspects of the congregation that her family belonged to. Once a month, members would bear their testimonies in church, and this meant that they'd go up to the microphone and share declarations of their faith. If you were a good member, you would do this regularly, and you would most likely start crying due to this presence of the Holy Ghost overcoming you. And being devout members, Lola's parents always told their children that they should go up and bear their testimony. But Lola was scared, and obviously, rightfully so, that's terrifying to think about. She said that she couldn't think of anything original to say, and she never cried. But she went up there
5: anyway because it was expected of her. I can't even own my mistakes as an adult, so it's like... How do we expect children to do this? Like public speaking too. It's like it's like it's a little bit. Everybody's sh- working nightmares. I yeah, guess. it is, and it's like trying to confess your sins. It's Catholicism. At least you're alone with a priest. Like n- here, it's like your whole congregation judges you based on your yeah, mistakes. Sounds like people gonna have some blackmail on S- you. If sounds brutal. Very brutal.
2: Yeah, being alone with your priest never, never really. Nothing bad ever happened with that either. Oh, yeah, lowless feelings of not fitting in weren't exclusive to church. She wanted to be a regular kid who talked about things they weren't supposed to talk about and wanted to experiment the way that kids do. She was a bit of a rebel. So much so that LDS parents told their children that Lola was a bad influence. And she was often excluded from gatherings.
5: To make matters worse, Lola's parents got divorced. And her mom, Christine, after this divorce, fell in love with someone who was a non-LDS member. So this couple, they eventually slept together which is what people in love do, but not in the LDS faith, not when you're not married, and especially not with someone who isn't involved in the faith. So Lola's mom was riddled with guilt. She took her religion very seriously. So she immediately confessed to her congregation. And her confession was not well received. The priesthood actually excommunicated her for this for three years. And this is a huge deal because you have to note also she had just separated from her husband, the foundation sort of of her life. And now she's also being cut off from her second most important sense of community, which is her church. And now they're, they're tossing her out for being honest about what's, what
3: she's done. And what that looks like is you are not allowed to speak in church. You're not allowed to take the sacraments. You go through a period of repentance where basically everyone at church knows that you've done something because you essentially have a scarlet letter on your back. Like everyone knows when you don't take the sacrament that day that that's what that means.
4: After three years, Lola's mother, Christine, was finished with the repentance process. And as Lola tells it, her mother no longer felt the same about the LDS church.
3: Most people don't make it through and she finally made it back in. But, you know, it's this incredibly vulnerable position to be in. And I don't know if she would have categorized it that way at the time, but I think she was disillusioned with some of the church's policies.
2: There was at least one man who knew about Christine's disillusionment, and that man was named Keith Ranieri, the leader of Nexium. Remember, we talked about Keith in episode ninety-six. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should go check it out. We were joined by Josh Block of the podcast Uncover Nexium. In, in the end, Keith would lead Christine to a cult, but it wouldn't be his own.
3: The way. That that all came about originally started from Keith Raniere from Nexium, who she just also happened to know. I remember I knew him as well. I met him as a child. He was just my mom's friend, who we knew as the smartest man in the world. So it turns out that Keith Raniere from Nexium was aggressively trying to recruit my mom into his like pre-Nexium version of the group that he had. But he already had a circle of women around him. They were trying to get my mom to sleep with
5: him. So Lila's mom was not down for sleeping with Keith. And this is for several reasons, including that she just straight up did not want to. But another reason is that she just finished being shunned by her entire community for sleeping with her boyfriend, who she was in love with and in a monogamous relationship with. So Keith, though, as we probably all know as true crime consumers, isn't really someone who likes hearing no. And he had tried to use her faith as a way to manipulate her.
3: He basically told her... That she should pray to God to see who the right man for her was, you know, with the intention presumably being that she would have a dream and it would be him. You know, and in Mormonism, there's this whole, there's a lot of stuff about, well, pray about it and you'll get a feeling or you'll have a dream, you know, God will send you like a vision, basically.
4: So Christine prayed, hoping to eventually dream of the right man. And she did. But the man in her dream wasn't Keith Renery. It was a man that she hadn't seen before. This man had something magnetic
3: about him, something special. But who was he? She had this dream of this guy who who seemed very much like Joseph Smith, the original founder of Mormonism. And she thought it was really meaningful.
2: Christine didn't know who this man was. Her only choice was to wait until she crossed paths with him. In the meantime, Christine and Lola moved to Utah, which is home to the LDS World Headquarters. She continued to engage with the LDS community, which brought her to a singles dance one evening. And that's where she met Adam, which we're going to tell you that's not his real name. We'll get into that more later, but we're using a pseudonym for a very specific reason. And this guy, Adam, looked strikingly similar to the Joseph Smith type Christine had dreamed about. This was her sign from God. This was the right man for her.
5: Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply.
2: Lola and her family had just moved to Utah when her mom, Christine, met her literal dream man, Adam, at an LDS church dance. Adam looked just like the man Christine dreamed about when she prayed to God about helping her find the man who was right for her.
5: At this dance, Adam and Christine struck up a conversation, and he told her that he was a former polygamist who is now single, which is why he was at this singles dance. And he immediately started probing Christine about religion and about her thoughts of it.
3: They start talking. He tells her he's an atheist, you know, basically like lures her into this conversation where she's like trying to convert him to Mormonism, essentially. And what Adam said to Christine next was shocking. Eventually, he reveals to her that he is the one true prophet of God, not the actual mainstream Mormon prophet. It's him who's the real prophet of God. To be clear, what Adam was
4: doing by first claiming to be an atheist was a ruse to see if Christine would try to talk him into Mormonism after learning that he was an atheist, which she did. From the very first conversation, Adam was doing recon about the various ways that he could prey on Christine.
2: Adam didn't stop there. He said that he was translating the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon. We're going to let Lola explain what this means.
3: In, like, Mormon lore, for lack of a better word, there is this idea that there's a whole portion of the Mormon scriptures, the Book of Mormon, that was sealed away to be revealed in the, like, last days or You know, near the end times or whatever by another prophet. So this means that Adam was claiming
5: to be that prophet. And what Adam was doing in claiming to be the person destined to translate the sealed portion, he's not the first to do it. And he's probably not the last to do it either.
3: So it sort of has opened this window for men to come in, or women, I don't know if any of you have done it yet, but for people to come in and be like, Oh, look, I'm actually translating the sealed portion from an angel just like Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, did.
4: There was no way that Christine could have seen this at the time, but this was step one of a wannabe cult leader's recruitment process. The first step is to find the right person. And in having conversations with Christine, Adam learned that she was in an extremely vulnerable state. And cult leaders look for people who are stressed, emotionally vulnerable, estranged from their family, and Christine was all of these things. She was most likely missing the sense of community that the LDS church provided prior to her excommunication, and she'd been missing it for over three years. So this put her in an emotionally susceptible state.
3: Every person on this earth has been susceptible and will continue to be susceptible at different times in their life to these kinds of groups. In my mom's case, my mom had recently been excommunicated from her church, which was a major, major, like, destabilizing thing for her. And a manipulative person came in, swooped in, saw her vulnerabilities, and preyed on them. And the truth is, like, we we like to think that we're strong. We like to think that we're smart. We are smart. It doesn't matter how smart you are when there is a manipulative person preying on you. at at your most vulnerable time. And it is important that we all be aware of that and that we all be as vigilant as possible when we give our power away to someone else. And on top of that,
5: Christine had recently moved halfway across the country with her children. She was away from the people she knew and relied on, making her feel even more estranged and stressed and isolated and looking for community to cling to. So to have someone like Adam be accepting of her Had to feel like the biggest sigh of relief ever because you also have to realize the narrative that he put forth immediately. Former polygamist, now single. He also seems like someone who's deviated from the norms of this religion, right? So he's bonding with her and, you know, praying on her in that way. And it's all a ruse.
2: Adam's next move was to work on getting Christine to truly believe that he was the true prophet. They started spending a lot of time together where Adam would often tell Christine to pray about her feelings. Every time she prayed about Adam, it felt right. So step
5: two in the cult leader's handbook after finding the right person is love bombing, which we've discussed several times on this podcast before, but never in this context. So love bombing happens in all types of relationships, not just romantic. And that's always the context in which we've described it here. So while Christine and Adam's relationship did present this illusion of romance in some ways, cult leaders use love bombing to lure people in, who they don't have romantic interest in also. Friends can also love bomb friends, cult leaders love bomb potential cult members. It's a coercive tactic which can be used on anyone, anywhere. Again, it's this idea, it's this feeling of being seen and like being worshipped and put on a pedestal that you haven't felt before. The actions don't align appropriately with the newness of the relationship. You know, like this this can happen way too soon. And that's sort of what's happening here. But the one point we want to drive home is that like love bombing happens at work, at home, everywhere. So if anyone's ever presenting this like overly obsessed sort of fe- like actions to you, it's a red flag.
3: They're making you feel like the most special person in the entire world. Even if they don't really even know you yet, they will tell you that they have some special answer that no one else has. They will make you feel like You are a part of something that's bigger than yourself, which we all want to be, by the way. It is seductive. It's incredibly appealing.
4: Adam used attention and religion to love bomb Christine. He showed Christine some samples of the translations that he'd made on the sealed portion, and they seemed really authentic. And this understandably dazzled her. He told Christine that the LDS church knew everything about his translations. They also knew that he was the quote, new true prophet of God. Adam had real people tell Christine that everything he told her was true, but all the while he was actually setting up fake email accounts of people who would email Christine saying that they believed in Adam.
5: Right. So as you can see, Adam is also creating this illusion that he's up on this pedestal by inventing people using fake email accounts which give him credibility. And, you know, they're ha- he's having these fake people praise him to Christine. She's, you know, which is luring her in even more. So Christine is being loved bombed by this guy who looks just like the man she dreamed about. She was hearing from multiple sources that Adam is the true prophet. And when she prayed about Adam, it felt right. Not to mention she had this giant hole in her life, which was a religious community that she relied upon so heavily. So, who was Christine to disagree with all the evidence before her?
2: Yeah, and especially with this, the idea of the prophet, you know, Joseph Smith, who was the the the, the guy who got the the texts from this angel named Moroni, he leaves such a, a a something that people can like. I don't even think Christianity has this, or like the the New Testament, where there's a bunch of secret texts text here that I was I I was told not to reveal. So. Every time you're going to have somebody that wants to go deeper into this religion, it's it's just sitting out there as a carrot.
5: Yeah. It's just like, who's going to be the one that's going to do it? Yeah,
2: ex- exactly. Well,
5: and, and with certain religious texts like that, it almost seems like a riddle. Like, maybe no one's supposed to. Maybe that's a test. It's like, you're supposed to leave. You know what I mean? Like, it's up for so much interpretation that you could almost do anything with that. Is yeah. it a yeah. metaphor? Is it a riddle? Is it like a test based on, you know, uh, not being like gluttonous for information, who knows, some religious, like, backwards word acrobatics. Like, anyone can do
3: anything with it. And in this case, somebody's weaponizing it. Yeah. Over time, he eventually convinced her that this scripture, he was really translating it from an angel, and he was the real prophet.
2: In a Vice article that Lola wrote, she said that her mother was one of the smartest people she's ever met, that she's brilliant, funny, and incredibly loving, but she can't help but trust everyone. Christine is an inherently trusting person, and being a member of LDS only added fuel to that fire. As we talked about earlier, faith is very often more important than facts, and followers must trust the prophet.
5: Okay, so let's get back to Christine, Adam, and what happens next. So Christine introduced Adam to her children, so Lola and her brothers, but she didn't tell them that he was a prophet. So in Lola's Vice article... Lola says that when she was 12, she recalled feeling uneasy around Adam at first. She said, by that point, I was all too familiar with the range of evil and extraordinary men who were drawn to my mother's trusting nature. There was a constant stream of stalkers, scholars, and sociopaths trying to fight their way into her life. So when Adam came along, I was wary. Lola thought Adam was just like all the men that had come before him, but over time, he even won Lola over by complimenting her singing ability and played into that because she was she was interested and passionate about singing and he knew how to play her too. He would also, according to the article, buy her snacks, which did, did the trick. Because what 12-year-old doesn't, like, isn't just focused on snacks. Dunkaroos, Gushers. 30 and 40-year-olds over here focused on snacks. Dude, back then, though, the snacks were really good. Do you remember elementary school snacks? Like a Dunkaroo? Fruit by the foot. Dunkaroo. Oh. So gusher, mm. we had
2: comp combos were the big ones for us.
5: Combos.
4: Yeah, really? Combos.
2: Uh-huh.
5: Yeah. They
4: still exist. Only at uh-huh. gas stations. <laughs> so one day Lola was on her mom's computer and she found some emails sent by Adam. So, I mean like any probably young teen does, she reads them. And in the emails, Adam said that he was chosen by God to quote, do his work in these end times. And at first, Lola was skeptical about what she was reading. But the more she read, the more she realized that Adam had a lot of the same beliefs that she did.
3: It basically said he's a prophet and she was chosen. And all of these things about, you know, the end of the world that are all very much like in line with the culture that I'm living in and the beliefs that I have, too.
2: Lola asked her mom about the emails. Christine explained that everything in the emails were true. And just like her mom, Lola, at 12 years old, became a full-on believer of Adam. With Lola on his side, Adam asked her to start building a website for a foundation he was starting. Yeah, apparently Lola is a genius and could build a website at barely 13 years old. So this foundation was to help the needy, which of course was a part of God's plan. While Lola used Adam's computer to build the website, she saw glimpses of his translations of the sealed portion. And this only made her believe more.
5: Right. And Adam wasn't done sucking this family into his web. He told Christine that Lola was chosen by God to help with his mission. My insight into this is I think he clearly saw a bond between Lola and Christine that, like, he probably wasn't going to break and was like, I better rope Lola into,
1: Mm -hmm.
5: you know what I mean? Like, let's get her involved. Let's make her feel special so she can stand behind this. So when Christine told Lola what Adam said, of course, she was bursting with pride. She wrote in her Vice article, "Quote and finally, after feeling so little for so long, I was moved to tears. It suddenly made sense. Of course, I'd never fit in because my family was special, destined for something great. The church had made me feel unfit, unimportant, but this was important. And what's happening here is so, um, so key to how people like with cult leader mentalities operate. It's like Lola." and Christine were sort of marginalized and abused by their church community. So he Mm -hmm. was doing the opposite and giving them, you know, individuality and making them feel special. And it, it worked like a fucking charm as it would with most people. And this is where people are like, how do people join cults? I'm like, well, they're battered down and have low self-esteem and they feel good for once. And who doesn't want to keep feeling good?
2: Every interview with every woman and girl from the Manson family would say the same thing. They were beaten down by their parents, by their home life. Then you get this guy that was very charismatic that was telling them that they're special and that, you know, they belong here.
3: Yep. We didn't tell anyone. We didn't tell my brothers who, who were living with us. We didn't tell my dad. We didn't tell anyone. It was just a secret that my mom and I were, you know, holding together. And we thought that we were just incredibly special chosen by God to help bring about this mission on earth.
4: Adam continued to share his revelations. And the first one was that Christine was supposed to be his spiritual wife, AKA they could have sex without it being a sin, which is so convenient for him. And no one is shocked by the notion that extreme sex abuse happens within the confines of cults. And according to NBC news, the abuse is quote often sold as a way to become closer to the spirits or to God. It's represented to adherence as not really sex, but a form of spiritual practice. And we all know that Nexium might be the most famous example of a sex cult, but there are thousands of others, like children of God, who force women to work as sex workers, quote for the Lord, or the fundamentalist Church of Latter-day Saints, who made young women marry older men who already had dozens of wives. And by young women, I mean young girls.
2: In our interview, Lola explained to us why cult members are susceptible to sexual coercion from the cult leader.
3: There are many, many, many situations in which someone might think that they are operating out of their own free will. For example, like having sex with the leader just because they want to. But if you are under the impression because that person is lying to you that that leader is a prophet or is like in touch with angels or as some higher being from another planet, do you really have the free choice to turn that person down? If that person is this, like, heavenly figure who's talking to God, it's not really a choice
5: at that point. So on the heels of what Lola just said, when you're this immersed in religion, it's the focal point of your entire life and your afterlife and your soul and your eternity is at stake you're going to be this cult leader as well. Like I think people who aren't religious fail to understand the magnitude of importance religion plays in somebody's life if, if if it's what they've grown up with and what they know. So Adam's calling all the shots at this point and more of his revelations ultimately came. And his next round of commands would be that Christine and the kids had to sell their extra possessions and give all the money to his foundation, which was supposed to provide for the needy, but it really just went to Adam. Shocker there. So Christine obeyed, and she had a garage sale, and she even sold the wedding dress she'd been saving for when she remarried. It's very, very common for cult leaders to ask their followers to sell everything and donate the money. It's a way to control and isolate, give them less of an escape route. If followers don't have any possessions, how can they possibly leave? they'd have nothing on the outside and they've already alienated their families by then due to their coercion. So it's, uh, it works like a charm.
4: And then Adam had a third revelation and this one would put him on step three of recruitment, isolation.
0: There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are golden retrievers which means Tubi is more popular than using meat-flavored toothpaste. More popular than never figuring out what W-A-L-K spells. More popular than kicking your leg when a human rubs your belly just right. Tubi. It's more popular than golden retrievers. See you in there.
1: Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day,
4: At this point, Lola and Christine believe that Adam is the true prophet. He's been having these revelations, which they are following. Adam's second revelation was for Christine and her kids to sell all of their extra possessions and give that money to his foundation. His third revelation put him on step three of cult leader recruitment checklist,
3: isolation. He told her that God had commanded her to give her children up for adoption.
2: Adam told Christine that her mission was too dangerous, that her kids wouldn't be safe. Which is exactly why she should put them up for adoption.
5: Can you believe that people do this? That it's like, oh no, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta give your kids up to like mm-hmm. for us to hang out.
4: I know, it's, it's so crazy. fucked up. Yeah,
2: separating children from their mothers is a common tactic cult leaders use to control the women, according to NBC News. It's also quote an attempt to undermine the attachment between mother and child. The goal is to focus all feelings of attachment on the leader. This is where Christine drew the line. And she staunchly refused.
5: So instead, Christine found a compromise.
3: I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that my mom was living in this new, really scary place. It was like a kind of a halfway house. There were not really other women there. There were like lots of people freshly out of prison, which nothing wrong with people freshly out of prison. But in this case, there were actual pimps there.
4: Lola's brothers moved in with their father in California and Lola wanted to be near her mom. So she moved in with a family from church who had other kids who are Lola's age. And there Lola tried to live as normally as possible. She played video games, watched UHF for the first time and wrote essays about Weird Al, which I personally love. Well, it was
5: probably a weird time for her. It's like the first time she's actually like being a kid being a kid and her parents aren't there so like if you're living with another family they're probably not as like they don't need to hover as much they're like this is you know not my kid like she's probably actually this is probably where a lot of her like creative sort of information seeking came in right
4: Mm -hmm. during this time lola was in a lot of pain because she was separated from her mom but she felt like she couldn't address this pain because she thought it was all part of god's plan and what Adam was doing in separating Christine from her kids was maintaining this control and isolating her.
3: I was just like, well, just swallow it and deal, you know. It's not it's not your place to be sad right now. So I just lived my life.
2: Lola would secretly call her mom late at night. They'd talk about whatever mission Christine was currently working on. Every time they talked, Lola could tell her mom was struggling.
3: I knew... Just from our phone conversations and the couple times that I visited her, that she was incredibly depressed. I was very worried about her, that she's just living here on her own because God apparently wanted her to, and she could not figure out why. And things got really, really dark. She became suicidal. I didn't know what was going on. I just knew that my mom was, like, messed up. But I thought that it was a test. There's this big thing in Mormon culture that, like, the hardships that you go through are all just a test it's all like Abraham and Isaac you know it's really built into the culture this idea that like well yes you're supposed to suffer suffering is good suffering means that you'll be rewarded later on in heaven so you know it's just a test it's okay so this is what we thought it was
5: so as it turns
3: out Christine was
5: depressed and she was depressed with good reason Adam was sexually abusing exploiting and sexually trafficking Christine After Adam's previous revelation that Christine's kids shouldn't live with their mom, he had yet another revelation. Christine needed to have sex with men that he sent to her. But Christine didn't want to do this, like, at all, like, was miserable about this. But by this point, Adam had successfully, like, boxed her in. So he had her hooks in her so deeply, she believed so firmly that the only way to heaven was by pleasing him, that she truly felt she had no choice. Not to mention she had no sort of community and family to, like, call this out and intervene. She had nothing. She had no money. She had nothing. She Her self-esteem was in the toilet. This guy had successfully, like, alienated her. This is like a cult member's checklist exactly where he wants her. It's so fucked up.
3: I also want to be clear that, like, this Sex trafficking situation. My mom was not cool with it. Like, she did not just accept this and be like, yeah, great. This is a woman who had just spent two years of her life in repentance for having sex. This was like not something she took lightly. When Christine would protest,
4: Adam would insist that this was a test that she needed to pass.
3: She had all of these letters that she was writing being like, why would God want this? Please don't make me do this. Why would God want this? And the letters she got back in response, your salvation depends upon it. Your salvation depends upon you doing this. She's telling him she's like essentially suicidal. She did go out and like look for a car to step in front of. And like the story that she tells is that she felt this like pearl necklace that she was wearing that I had given her and remembered her children. and was like, I can't do this. But my mother was suicidal and he knew it. And the people in his inner circle also knew it. And they still told her that she had to do it.
2: Christine tried to find a way to get out of this situation, but an abusive pimp forced her to follow through. For months, Adam controlled Christine by sex trafficking her and profiting off the abuse.
5: Quickly, though, what I want to talk about is this idea that, like, this is a test. This is a test. It sort of justifies any suffering. And I think yeah. that's sort of a dangerous part of any religion where it's like, suffering is good. Suffering is a test. Like, prove your suffering you throw your instinct and your
4: gut feeling just out the window because it's like a normal person would be like, this is wrong. This doesn't feel right. But if it's all just for the greater good and it's a test, you just can't ever question anything that's going on around you.
5: Yeah. Prove it to God. It's such a great tactic for
3: manipulation.
5: You know, like everything that hurts is a test. It's just sort of convenient
3: for uh, the people exploiting others. Yeah. My mom was being abused and raped and she, Against her will, she believed that her entire eternal salvation was at stake. She believed that she would never see her children again if she didn't obey. She was coerced and spiritually forced into having sex with men that she did not want to have sex with. So she was being trafficked this whole time.
5: While all of this is happening, while Christine is with Adam being abused and coerced and controlled, Lola was trying to maintain as normal as a life as possible. And while she didn't know the horrors of what her mother was going through, I think she picked up on it because even she started to have doubts about Adam's legitimacy as a true prophet.
3: I always tell this story because I it I think it's really telling. I think it's emblematic of, of many cult survivors' experiences. I remember kneeling down to pray alone in my room in this family's house and trying to bear my testimony, which is essentially like just praying that to tell God that you believe to affirm your faith bearing my testimony that this guy whom I shall not name was a true prophet of God and I remember not being able to finish my sentence and I took note of it I was only 12 years old took note of it I was like that's interesting probably doesn't mean anything he's probably a prophet but I'm going to remember this later
4: A few months after Lola began having doubts, her mom showed up at the home where she was staying. She sat Lola down on a hill and told her everything. Adam was not a prophet. He was a sex trafficking psychopath. And Christine explained that recently, Adam sent a man named Jeff to have sex with her, which was normal with what she was doing. But when Jeff saw how Christine was living, he broke down crying and he made a confession. He said that Adam wasn't a prophet, He wasn't translating the sealed portion. And the foundation Christine had been donating to actually belonged to Adam's girlfriend and the new, quote, first wife who helped him and his cult and his cons.
3: The prophet told this guy to, like, go see my mom or whatever. And the guy knew the whole scam. Our prophet had basically, like, let the whole thing leak that it wasn't real, which I think is really unique for guys like this, because usually you kind of think that they believe their bullshit. But in this case, he just straight up told this man that it was all bullshit and that he had this woman available for him. So this guy goes, this guy Jeff, goes to see my mom, looks at the place she's living in, looks at this nightmare that she's living in, sees how depressed and just like rock bottom she is. And he breaks down crying. And he's like, I have to tell you, this is all a lie. You can't stay here. I have to get you out of here.
2: Jeff had exposed Adam which would be Christine's first step in regaining control. And once Christine and Lola were reunited, she told her everything.
3: I just like accepted it immediately because I deep down had had my doubts, even though I hadn't been ready to face them. And that was it. Christine
4: had attempted to seek help from law enforcement, but they were less than helpful.
3: She went to the police, they wouldn't help her because there was just no awareness at that time about coercion. There was no awareness that time about spiritual abuse or really any <laughs> anything that isn't physically forcing someone to do something with a gun at their head. There was just no awareness at that time. So she got no help. She, there were no resources available for her.
2: With no help from the police, Christine and her children had to start their lives over completely, rebuilding from the ground up. This time as non-LDS believers. They didn't talk about Adam or what had happened. And it's no surprise that the topic was avoided because it's really incredibly, ultimately traumatic. But as they say, time heals all, and they did start to process what they'd been through. Right, and despite
5: having everything she had taken away from her by Adam, Christine managed to get her and her kids into their own apartment, and they started to slowly put the pieces back together. But if you thought that Adam would let Christine go quietly think again he harassed her whenever he could so interestingly in the time shortly after christine cut contact adam had actually been arrested for harassing one of his former polygamist wives so as a result of that he was on parole and that was a parole violation he then went on the run when a judge threatened to put an ankle monitor on him the harassment continued Of Christine and Lola and does continue even to this day to some degree as time passed Lola
4: and Christine healed in their own unique ways Lola channeled her energy into creative endeavors which included discussing her experience in open forums and wouldn't you know it this is when Adam would pop out of hiding to remind them that he was still there but using a very cliche cult leader tactic to try to silence her.
3: So my former prophet, in quotation marks, is very, very litigious, and this is something that I think is really important. Actually, he has tried to sue me before for telling my story when I did not even name his name. I've never named his name publicly. I'm not afraid of him anymore. I have more power than him, at least in my head, and that is all, that is what counts. But there are a lot, a lot of victims in situations where they do not have any power and they are silenced by people like this, by people like Keith Raniere. Keith Raniere did this, uh, Nexium did this to all of the first people who spoke out and they had a ton of money, unlike my guy, who was kind of a doofus and didn't really file the paperwork right and doesn't totally know what he's doing. I should say he has many victims. It wasn't just my mom. He's done this to many people and he has a whole group now with dozens of people in it, whose money he continues to take.
5: Meanwhile, Adam had not given up on his efforts to lead a cult of followers. He began claiming that he had the sealed portion of the Book of Mormon completely translated. He attracted more and more people who were interested and he actually still has somewhat of a following even to this day. Today, Lola's mom, Christine, has a
4: PhD in media psychology. She's also an activist working to end human trafficking. While working on her own trauma, Christine learned that it's important to take back your story and its lessons and wisdom she also instilled in Lola. After all, they went through this together.
3: The cold story is just the tip of the iceberg. She's been through so much. She has still managed to go back to school, get her PhD, accomplish all of these amazing things. Now she teaches people about media misrepresentation because her story was actually told in the media several times in a way that was very victim-blaming. And that was, instead of something that She let crush her because that can be very, very re-traumatizing. She let energize her into pursuing something new and taking back her story and taking back her power in the process.
5: Lola felt like she needed an outlet to discuss this because when she would share her story, the feedback was overwhelming. There are so many others who have been coerced to varying degrees, who want to learn, who want to grow, who want to share and process what's happened to them. Lola hopes to help bring awareness about how susceptible everyone is So to do that, she started co-hosting a weekly podcast called Trust Me, where she and our friend Megan Elizabeth discuss all things cults, extreme belief, and the abuse of power. In fact, on the first episode of Trust Me, you can hear Lola's mom
3: tell her story firsthand, which we highly recommend you do. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in fear of what happened to you. You can own it. You can talk about it. And there are so many people like me who are like out here waiting just, ready to hear that story you know and who will feel empowered by knowing that there are other people like us
2: there's no doubt that it takes extreme resilience to rebound from an experience like this
3: that was the first time i realized like oh a really bad thing happened to us and like i can talk about it and that's okay and it's really only once i started talking about it that i think i actually started processing it because at the time we were just still in survival mode. My mom had PTSD. We had no money. We had no home yet, you know, like we just didn't we just had to focus on living. So now as an adult, like now I'm in therapy, been in therapy for a while and like processing it now, but at the time there just was not time and there was no there were no resources. There was no one to help us. It's very important to me to contribute to awareness in the culture about how susceptible we all are, and about what cognitive dissonance feels like, and about how easy it is for somebody to take hold of your power, and how you can then take it back. Those are all things that are really, really important to me now.
5: Stephen Colbert once said, and I am America, here's an easy way to figure out if you're in a cult. If you're wondering whether you're in a cult, the answer is yes. And that's because, quotes over, now it's me. That's because it happens that effortlessly, that easily, and that quickly. Only it's when you leave you know you're in a you, you're you know you're leaving a cult, but you never knew you joined one. And I think that's something we really want to convey. Like human vulnerability is something we're all susceptible to. Yeah. And um, in moments of weakness, in moments of pain, in moments of sadness, rock bottom moments. Those are when you need to be on the lookout for people preying on you because that's where people are looking, these cult leader type dudes.
4: a huge thank you to Lola for being our First Degree guest this week. If you're listening and you have a story to tell please email us hello at podcast.com. follow us on Instagram at degree at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Johnson, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all the time and check back tomorrow because we're going to have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed.
2: And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close
5: but not that Clothes. <laughs> Happy, Happy Bread, bread Day. Birthday. Dude, Both. bread, yes. Give me I a know. baguette any day. I'm going to have a sandwich right after this. That's right. Shout out to Jared Monaco for creating and scoring original music for the first degree, to Haley Gray for her epic writing, producing by Caitlin Cleveland. Sources for this episode are Lady Gun, Vice, Glore Magazine, Playboy, NBC News, Big Think. And as always, our first three guests is always our largest source.
1: Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat.